0: This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard, take the lead. Well, following a pandemic pause, the FPA Congress was back in full swing for 2022. Over 1,200 delegates joined this year's Reunite and Reset-themed Congress, and here discussed its highlights with us today is FPA Chief Executive Sarah Bood. Sarah, welcome and thank you for being here. Thanks, Cassie.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: In your opening Congress speech, you pointed out several key issues the FBA remains focused on. This includes reducing the red tape and duplicated compliance measures that add to the cost of advice, flexible professional standards and an extension to the ASIC levy freeze. Can you tell me what FPA will be doing or is doing to drive those initiatives forward?
1: Well, I guess looking at the first one around red tape and compliance duplication, for us, that's the key focus in the quality of advice review is getting those those compliance costs down for planning practices, which will also have the impact of getting the cost of advice down for consumers. A lot of those regulations, a lot of that red tape is really not helpful for consumers. It's not adding any value, but it is adding very substantially to the cost of providing advice. So that's a high priority for us and we really pleased to see the initial proposals as part of the quality of advice review. We think they will have an impact in getting some of those costs down and that, that's really important. That's that's a, a real priority for us. So that's the first um, element of the question you asked. We also spoke about the ASIC levy freeze. So that the levy has been frozen at a particular amount, just over $1,000 per planner, for quite a while now and during that time the costs of regulation have been increasing, while the number of planners has been decreasing. And we're quite concerned about what the outcome might be when that freeze comes off. The the dual impact of those two changes, so costs going up and planners going down, could mean a really substantial increase in the amount of that ASIC levy that planners are required to pay. So given that we're talking about the cost of advice, that is a very substantial cost of advice. What we'd like to see is the basis on which the ASIC levy is is paid, reviewed and that review completed before the freeze comes off. So we're certainly keen to see the costs of giving advice going down. So that's really important.
0: And something else you highlighted and something else that the FPA has been advocating for some time now is making advice tax deductible for consumers. London Business School Professor Andrew Scott said in his session – Good luck doing so and explained he believed it would create a lot of pressure on public finance. He didn't seem to think the government would ever go for it. Does the FPA have a strategy that would actually make this a viable option for government to consider and why do you think this would be one of the quickest and easiest ways to make financial advice more affordable?
1: Well well I guess you know straightforwardly for, for many clients, making the advice tax deductible would halve the effective cost depending on their marginal tax rate. So it is a very simple and direct way to get the cost of advice down. We we have been advocating and we continue to advocate through government for that that determination to be made that financial advice is, is simply tax deductible. But we're also working directly with the tax office right now because the tax determination that covers this area uh, is now somewhat out of date and many of the examples that it uses uh, are from times that are, you know, 20 and sometimes more years ago. So we, we think that there's a good opportunity for us to work with the tax office to get that TD updated and reflecting the advice that's provided now by properly licensed and registered financial advisors to the consumers today. And we think that that's a good approach to take while we still continue to advocate directly with the government for tax
0: deductibility. In February, you have a member vote that will determine if the planned merger between the AFA and FPA will go ahead. Following the Congress, did you get any indication that members felt concerned in any way? No, look,
1: quite the opposite. We had a lot of feedback from members at the Congress that they were extremely supportive of the proposal and that's been consistent with the feedback that we've had since we announced this proposal on the 1st of September. We had a panel session at Congress on the merger. That was really well attended and we had a lot of questions. I think what members are looking for is more insight into what the new association will do, what it will be called, Who does it support? You know, all of those things are are coming up. And to me, that shows that our members are really engaged and, and keen to ensure that they have a voice in shaping the new association. And that's certainly the case. We're about to enter another round of member consultation, which will cover the detail of how this new association will be established, including its name including its constitution and the basis on which the AFA and the FPA come together. So this is really an opportunity for us to demonstrate that we've heard the questions and the issues that have been raised by members in the first round and and that these are being taken into account when we're thinking about how we formulate the new association. So yeah, the the dominant feedback has been, well, you know, get on with it, (laughs) something that many members would have liked to see happen some time ago, I think. So we want to make sure that, that we are getting on with it and delivering on the merged Association, but it needs to be in the right way. Yeah. It needs to be in a way that members are supportive of and, and fully understand. So we're really looking forward to that. The the documents, as I said, will be heading out. We, we're hopeful next week we're on track for that um, and giving members a good period of time to really consider those documents over the holiday break and then final versions of those documents will be sent along with the formal vote request in early February.
0: If the merger does go ahead, that will wrap up the FPA Congress as it's been known for the past 30 years. It was highlighted in a few of the sessions that the first Congress, or back then conference, was born after a merger with two entities. Although we don't yet know the vote, did this year feel like the end of an era?
1: Look, I I think to me, honestly, it felt more like the start of a new era than the end of an old one, because we were celebrating our 30th birthday and you're quite right, the FPA was originally born from a merger of two associations, so it's kind of neat in a way. But, but to me it did feel more like excitement about what's to come rather than perhaps sadness about what's past. I think it's been important to acknowledge the history and that history is really important, not just on the FPA side but on the AFA side as well. So I'm really glad that we had a chance to do that. But yeah, it felt to me more like the start of
0: something than the end of something. Yeah, that's really nice. It's certainly come full circle. Michelle Levy joined you on stage for a really interesting session where she made it pretty clear that there aren't going to be huge surprises in the final quality of advice reforms due in a few weeks. Knowing that's the case, are you feeling confident or are you still slightly concerned about particular proposals like irrelevant providers going ahead? Look, that. that
1: proposal that you flagged there is probably the one that members have raised with me. Overall, we're very supportive of the package and the proposals that we've seen to date. We think they're sensible. We think they have a good chance of getting some of those costs to advise consumers down and recognising that planners are professionals and moving to a principles-based approach. So overall, we're very supportive. That particular proposal is the one where members are a little concerned because I guess there's a worry that the people who provide personal advice to consumers who are employed by large institutions won't have the same training, they won't have the same duties to provide the best advice to a consumer that a financial advisor has. I think broadly there's recognition that in many cases those consumers do just need simple advice that's in their interests, Mm. um, that's related to their holding in a particular product and often that's not the kind of advice that our members would typically provide. Their concern is to ensure that that advice that is provided in that way is of good quality and does leave the consumer in a better position so that consumers are not confused by the differences in the types of advice that are available out there. So most of our members would like to see that distinctively framed or labeled. The other proposal that we've made is that those people who are providing that advice have some of the same training and overseeing that financial planners would have so that would mean that they would be enrolled in a course of study that could lead them to being a financial advisor and that they're being supervised and monitored by someone who does have all of the training and is fully qualified and we think that those are ways that we can Kind of get the best of both worlds, if you like, ensure that consumers are receiving the simple advice that they need at the time that they need it, but that that advice is genuinely going to leave them better off, is genuinely going to be of good quality.
0: Finally, you spoke on the exodus of advisors and all the issues the industry has faced in the last decade. You said planners are tired, but nevertheless, you've never felt more optimistic. Do you think that the advice sector has made it through the eye of the storm? Or are there particular issues you think will continue to hold it back? No, I, I do feel
1: very much that that we have gone through the eye of the hurricane, if you like. It's <laughs> still it's still um, the storm's still there to some extent. But it feels like there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic about the future right now. And and one of them is the discussion we've just had on the quality of advice review. That review has recognized a lot of the issues that members have been raising, I think they've felt for a long time that they haven't been heard, And I believe they're now feeling hurt. And there are a lot of other reviews and submissions and opportunities for us to engage with government and regulators in a really productive way that will help our members be better off. But the other big positive that, that I feel and I'm seeing is that consumers have never had high demand for advice. They want advice. They recognize that it's needed. By and large, they trust advisors. Those trust scores have improved really dramatically in the last couple of years in the wake of the Royal Commission and financial planning is a trusted profession. I think I used the line on the stage that they're more trusted than um, lawyers, for example, childcare workers. There was a whole list of professions, including CEO, which I didn't know quite how to feel about. But nevertheless, (laughs) it's the case that consumers are recognising the hard work that's been done in this profession and the quality of advice that they're receiving. And our challenge is now to get more advice to more consumers and ensure it's of high quality. So to me, that really feels like we're turning the corner without trying to suggest that we've solved all the problems we haven't. We've still got work to do, but I really do feel positive and optimistic about the future of financial planning. I'm really excited to be part of it at this time.
0: That's really really great to hear. And Sarah, thank you so much for your time today and joining us on the Financial Standard Podcast. We appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, Cassie. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard Podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice.